Good evening. evening. It is uh, good to be here. I think moments like this is really good for my arteries because my heart's going about twice as fast as it usually does. (laughs) That's okay. Uh, I feel weak of knee, but yet at the same time, I know that the power of the Holy Ghost is in amongst us. And thank you, young folks, young people, for singing. I shared with a brother as I walked in here tonight that, you know, it takes about two and a half days to get used to each other, and then about the end of five days, you feel like you're leaving family when you depart. So, and we really, we are. You know, we are. We are family. And it's such, such a blessing to know that the family of God is way more than we can number. Way more than you think. John saw that. Thousands and thousands and ten thousands times ten thousands. He only said that because there was no number. So God bless you for being here, and uh, we are going to take a little journey tonight, and I hope you let's walk together. Um, The title of the message tonight is, what did I write down? A Mark of Ownership. A mark of ownership. God owns you. You are his possession. Adonai. Adonai is a name for God that means owner. He owns you. You are his possession. He has purchased you. And I'm speaking to you tonight if you are a child of the king and born again. Into his kingdom. Being his possession, you are not your own. And God is a jealous God. He is jealous. He's not going to share you with another king. He won't share his loyalty. He expects obedience. He is sovereign. He is in authority. We're going to read a couple of verses here. Uh, you don't have to turn to this one, but it's Romans. You know, there are some verses in the Bible at times that kind of get, they kind of get lost with the, with the next door neighbor down the street. And the verse I'm going to read to you sometimes gets lost. You know, we all know John 3.16, but... John 3, 19 kind of gets lost under the shadow of his neighbor down the street. Same with Romans 8, 28. A lot of us here tonight could, could, uh, could verbalize that verse. We could say it. But what about 29? It kind of gets lost in the shadow of 28. 29 is what I like to read. Is Romans 8, 29. goes like this. For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate. There comes that word again. Why? What did he predestinate you to be? What did he predestinate you? Now, predestinate means like foreordained. Prior to the, uh, the Bible tells us before the foundations of the world. Our minds can't go back there. We We can go to in the beginning God created. That's where we start. And we don't even quite understand that. But going from 
everlasting to everlasting. We kind of get a little bit of a glimpse what something is that lasts forever, but something that never started, we don't go there. We can't even go there. But that's who we serve. This God said, he predestinated us to be conformed to the image of his Son. That he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Many brethren. To be conformed to the image of his Son. Remember, I think, of the first night we talked about Adam was created in the image of God, in the likeness of God. The image of God was taken away when he disobeyed. And from that we are born without the image of God. But prior to that time, God had prepared the solution for you and I to be again under the image of God. So now here we are, and we are born-again Christians, conformed. It's kind of a harsh word a little bit, you know, when you think about taking a, a, a piece of iron or a piece of iron and you have a hammer and you have an anvil and, and you, you want to shape this into something and maybe this piece of iron doesn't look like anything at all and, and, uh, and you take this iron but you've got to put it into the heat into a forge and you got to, or a torch and you got to put it under at least 2,700 degrees of heat to get this red hot so it's moldable, so it's shapeable. And then you can take a hammer and you can shape whatever you want out of that piece of steel. But it doesn't feel good. Somewhere, somehow, someplace, God picked you up. God picked me up out of a, out of a salvage heap. We were not any of any value in the kingdom of God, but He picked you up out of this salvage heap where the world looked upon and, and you were cast and you were, you were filthy and you were dirty. And, but God, He picked you up. Remember that man, man by the pool, Bethesda? 38 years he couldn't walk. He, come, he laid there and he was waiting for the waters to move and he, he could never quite get in him. How do you think he looked? How do you think he smelled? But Jesus comes and says, take up your bed and walk. Take up your bed and walk. And brothers and sisters, I trust you're walking tonight under the authority and lordship of Jesus Christ. Under the servilence of the Almighty. Because there you are. You're His. He owns you. Adonai. I won't share you with none other. I'll cover you with the shelter of my wings. I'll keep you with the power from above. The mark of ownership. Chastening of the Lord. Chastisement. We're going to read, if you turn with me, we're going to read a few verses there in Hebrews 12, and then we're going to go to another passage and come back to that, uh, is what the plan is, and we'll see what God has. Um, if you would, why don't you stand with me at the reading of his word? 
Hebrews 12 verse 3 says, For consider him that endureth such contradiction of sinners against himself, lest you be wearied and faint in your minds. You have not yet resisted unto blood striving against sin, and you have forgotten the exhortation which speaketh unto you as unto children. My son, despise not thou the chastening of the Lord, nor faint when thou art rebuked of him. For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth, and scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. If you endure chastening, God dealeth with you as with sons. For what son is he whom the Father chasteneth not? But if you be without chaste chastisement, whereof all are partakers, then you are bastards and not sons. Furthermore, we have had fathers of our flesh which corrected us, and we gave them reverence. Shall we not much rather be in subjection unto the Father of spirits and live? For they verily for a few days chastened us after their own pleasure, but he for our profit, that we might be partakers of his holiness. Now no chastening for the present seemeth to be joyous, but grievous. Nevertheless, afterward it yieldeth a peaceable fruit of righteousness unto them which are exercised thereby. Wherefore, lift up the hands which hang down and the feeble knees, and make straight paths for your feet, lest that which is lame be turned out of the way, but let it rather be healed. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, these few words that were wrote, written and read, Lord, they're your words. God, I pray that you take these words tonight and you multiply them like you did the fish and the loaves. Make thousands of them that we be full and that our brothers and sisters in the days to come can gather up baskets full. Thank you, God, for what you will do. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Thank you. We're going to go to an example in Scripture before we go through that passage. Uh, you sisters, I don't know if you read what I told you. I trust you did. Uh, I'm not going to give you any test tonight, but I would like to ask you, did you get any life out of it? Some life came out of it? Praise the Lord. Let's see if there's a little more in it yet. Turn with me to Luke chapter 7, and we're going to... I don't, I don't know, this is, this is for the sisters especially, I think, simply because it's, it is a sister that we're tracing through the scriptures here. Um, following her, where she first become into the view of the holy scriptures, and hopefully at the end we'll close out with her as well. Um, this is a, I'm not going to go through all these passages, all the verses, but I'm just going to kind of try to do it in a shorter for, story form if we can. But uh, to draw your attention to Mary. Um, this is the Mary that uh, lived with Martha and her brother Lazarus in a little abode. 
And Jesus off, he said one time, he said, I don't have a, he said, the foxes have holes, the birds have nests in the trees, but the Son of Man doesn't even have so much as a pillow whereupon to lay his head. But we do read in scriptures that he often abode in this little abode of Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. They were his special friends. And uh, we don't know quite why. Uh, maybe someday we'll understand. But there's a beautiful passage of Scripture that goes along with this that I want the sisters, especially tonight, to pay attention. Because sometimes we have sisters and mothers and young mothers and older mothers that kind of think, well, I'm just a mom. Or I'm just a homemaker. Or all I do is the laundry and clean the house and whatever, that's all I do. Let's see a little bit what happens here. And, and I, I, I like to draw your attention to this a little bit. We start in Luke chapter 7. It starts at verse 36. It's where the Pharisees had gathered here and they, they had invited Jesus to the uh, a Pharisee's house by the name of Simon. And I'm not sure what their plan was that day, and I, but I, I, knowing the Pharisees and the way they looked at Jesus and how they were treating him and undermining him, I'm thinking their plan wasn't too good. However, these guys gathered in and they, they come in there and, and I don't know if they just got there or what happened, but in the, in the little abode that they were gathered, and I don't know how many men were there, but Jesus was in the middle and all at once, just like we were here tonight, all at once there's a woman comes through that door and she never stopped and she, she just comes up and she falls at Jesus' feet and she starts weeping and sobbing and then she took her hair and dried his feet. Now brothers and sisters, if that, I don't know, I am sure, I am sure if I would have been there, I would have been standing back and like, what in, what, what is going on? And that's exactly what Simon did, standing back here, and Simon was scratching his head and thinking, this is what he was thinking, if this man, if this man is Jesus, and he would know what kind of a woman this is, he wouldn't even let her touch him. And here she is, washing his feet, not with water, sisters, with tears, and drying them with her hair. Jesus, of course, knew the thoughts of this man. He said, Simon, I've got a story to tell you. He said, there was a man that had, uh, he owed 50, he owed 500 pence, and another owed him 50. The story goes that uh, they had nothing to pay. Either one had nothing to pay, so he forgave them both. Which was forgiven the most? Well, Simon had a pretty easy answer there. He said, well, he, the one that he, that he owed the most. He, and Jesus said, you have rightly judged. But Simon, I've got something to tell you. I came into this house. You never gave me a kiss. This woman has not ceased kissing my feet since she's here. You never washed my feet. This woman has not stopped washing my feet with her tears since she's here. <clears throat> she dried them with her hair. <clears throat> he says, Wherefore I say unto thee, her sins which are many, 
are forgiven, for she loved much. But to whom little is forgiven, the same loveth little. And he said to her, Thy sins be forgiven. Have you heard that phrase in your life? Thy sins be forgiven. I think we, take, we say that phrase pretty cheap sometimes. He forgiveth all our iniquities. Puts them as far as the east is from the west. We can stand before an holy God just as if we'd never sinned. you believe that tonight? Amen, brothers and sisters. There's another thing I'd like to share with you before we go a little further. We'll talk about it some more later. But we have a great cloud of witnesses. We have a race to run. The race is set before you. The master doesn't say that you have to run it. He doesn't make any, he doesn't coerce anybody to run this race, but he set it before you. You got a choice. While running this race, prior to the race, he tells us about the great cloud of witnesses. I tried to draw a little racetrack here, and by the way, it's not a 300-yard dash. It's not a 26-mile marathon. It's a lifetime. It's a lifetime. That's why you can run with patience. You don't have to hurry. In the bleachers here is our great cloud of witnesses. Somewhere in the bleachers here. But these all have gone on before us. In the bleachers here is Moses, Abraham, Peter. Maybe you can think of somebody that's cheering you on. They've gone on before us. Millions. They run this race. They're here cheering you on. I've got a question. Do you believe in the bleachers here the man on the right side of the cross who ne never did anything wrong? Is he here? Never had a chance to do anything right. He's here. Now I'm going to ask you another question. What about Rahab, the prostitute? Is she here? She's sitting next to Abraham in your mind? You got it? Brothers and sisters, it's true. He forgiveth all our iniquities. All our iniquities. He raiseth up whom he will. Turn with me to Luke chapter 10. We'll pick up this sister again in verse 38. Now here's, I think, the first time we read that Christ is in their little abode. And he went to visit there, and obviously they knew he was coming. And uh, the sisters were both home. It says here, Now it came to pass, as they went, that he entered into the certain village, and a certain woman named Martha received him into her house. She had a sister called Mary, which also sat at Jesus' feet and heard his word. 
But Martha was cumbered about with much serving, and came to him and said, Lord, doest thou not care that my sister hath left me to serve alone? Bid her, therefore, that she help me. Jesus answered and said to her, Martha, Martha, thou art careful and troubled about many things. You worry, you doubt, you fear, and you worry, and you doubt, and you fear. You make a big fuss over little things. But one thing is needful, Martha. One thing. Your sister Mary has chosen that one thing. And Martha, you, nor no one else, is going to take it away from her. You're not going to take it away from her. You're, she chose this one thing. <clears throat> I'm bringing this out tonight to show you how the chastening of the Lord works. In John chapter 11, I'm not going to go through the chapter but we'll talk about it. <clears throat> Jesus is here. One thing we have to keep in mind, well, I'll get to that a little later. <clears throat> they lived in Bethany, and at this point, Jesus was a couple days away from there. And somebody come running to him and, and said, uh, Master, your, your friend Lazarus, you know, you know him, the one you're really close to and you often stay there, he's sick. Come, come quick. <clears throat> Jesus waited two days. Two days. Did you ever think he was late for you? Did you ever pray and you never got an answer? Did you ever pray and the Lord's silent? He doesn't say yes, he doesn't say no. Did you ever, did you ever like, do you, have you ever experienced that? This means yes and this means no. I mean, have you ever experienced a prayer and you cry out to God maybe for days and he's not answering? You know what he's saying? What did he tell his son in the Garden of Gethsemane? Jesus, three times, Father, take this cup from me. The third time, the Father was silent all the time. What did he say the third time? I'll drink it. What he said, he says, I understand exactly, Father, that you have me exactly where you want me. And brothers and sisters, if God is silent, and you prayed, and God is silent, and you prayed, He's telling you loudly and clearly, I have you right where you want you. I have you right where I want you, brother or sister. Be faithful where you are. Keep running the race. Even though you lack confidence, or even though you maybe aren't rooted and grounded where you think you should be, walk! This is only one, you, this is only one, this is a lifetime. These people, 
have made the U-turn and met Jesus at the cross. You, you can barely see it here, but the further we get down the road here and, and, the, and the crossover, the world passing over us becomes dimmer and dimmer. We barely notice them. We can barely see them anymore because our focus is to glory. We can barely see these guys here that's crossing our paths and rubbing shoulders and what you saw yesterday. Let me ask you this. You know, sometimes we see these fashions and we see these big trucks and we see all that out there and we, we kind of think, you know, it'd be surely nice to have that next new sweater or, uh, or whatever it might be and I'm not here to tell you what to wear but I'm just using this as an example. Let me ask you something. Was there one thing yesterday that you could pick out and say, that's what I want? Did you see anything? One thing. That's where I want to go. I want to be those guys right there. Is that what you saw? Nothing. Nothing. I, I trust that that stuff just gets dimmer and dimmer and dimmer as you focus on Jesus. Jesus Christ, the author and the finisher of your faith. He autographed your life not with an ink pen, but with the blood. He used the blood to go to wipe across your, your, every, your whole life. Did you ever try to cover something with blood? Write something on a paper and prick your finger once and squeeze blood across it, a little dot. You won't see it. It covers. But it's not covered here. It's away. It's washed away. Well, here in John 11, we had a pretty urgent situation here. Two days later, Jesus says, well, somebody came and said that uh, uh, Lazarus is sleeping and uh, or no, they said, well, he said, let us go to Judea. And uh, the disciples, they were kind of like, you know, we should get going here. But uh, yet they knew by going up there, it's pretty dangerous. You know, we might, we might get killed. And uh, anyway, uh, in verse 10, well, verse 11, Jesus says, these things said he, and after he said them, he said, our friend Lazarus sleepeth, but I go and I may wake him out of his sleep. Well, the disciples were logically, logically thinking and reasoning, human reasoning, oh, this, this steps into our life so easy. Let's figure this thing out and let's get it all together and somehow we should figure it out. Oh, and then it doesn't work out and finally we say, it came down that we had to pray. I guess it comes down to prayer. You know, brothers and sisters, I, God help us. I'm, that's a little how we think. I guess it's come down to prayer. All we can do anymore is pray. Where were you all this time? Where were you all this time? Seriously, brothers and sisters. And Jesus said here, he said, the disciples, uh, they reason, Lord, if he's sleeping, that's a, that's a pretty good sign that he's getting better. Well, you know, it's, it's not safe to go. And Jesus said, Lazarus is dead. He said, and I'm glad for your sakes that he died. And I'm glad that I was not there to heal him 
so that he could die to the intent, you brothers, you disciples, that you believe, nevertheless, let us go. Thomas said, well, you know, come on, guys. I guess if he's going to die, we might as well die with him. Let's just go. It's a hopeless situation, but let's go. So they go. I want you to notice something, sisters. When they get there, word gets out that Jesus finally came. And here comes Martha, the one that's cumbered about with a lot of load and a lot of care, a lot of, <clears throat> a lot of you know, Martha looks to me like someone that, uh, at this point, that, you know, she takes things in her own hands and, you know, she can figure it all out. She can make enough food for everybody. Uh, she just wonders why everybody isn't quite like her. Sound familiar, sisters? I always wonder why this sister down the bench doesn't take care of her babies like I did when I had mine. You know, you think of all these things, and I'm kind of I'm digging into the heart. Maybe you sisters aren't like that. I don't know. Maybe the German Baptists aren't like that. I'm not too sure. But it doesn't, you know, brothers and sisters, but you know what? I'm sure that it is. I'm sure that's how it works. But let me tell you something. Here comes Martha out the door, and, and the first thing she says, Lord... If thou hadst been here, my brother had not died. And I could just see her kind of cock her head a little bit and say, Lord, if you'd have been here on time, my Lazarus, my brother Lazarus wouldn't be in the grave. Where were you? You're too late. This is what's going through her mind. I know if you'd have been here, he'd be alive. <clears throat> Yes, Jesus said, your brother's going to rise again. Oh, I know that on the resurrection day. Jesus said, I am, Martha. Listen to me. I am the resurrection and the life. He didn't say, I am able to resurrect. I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, Though he were dead, though he is in the bleachers, yet shall he live. And if, and whosoever is still running the race, when I come and believeth on me, shall never die. In a twinkling of an eye, they shall be transformed and meet him in the air. Believeth thou this? Believeth thou this? You know what, brothers and sisters? We can say yes, but put yourself in Martha's shoes. Her brother died. He is dead. They buried him. The stone is put in place, and the body is stinking. Okay? They know he's dead, because the custom of that day was... They, they didn't embalm them. They, took, they wrapped them up in grave clothes as soon as they died, and they, and they put them in the grave. And they rolled the stone in place, and they left it open just a little bit. And the first day they would go in there, maybe 12 or 24 hours later, and they go in there and say, Lazarus! No answer. The next 24 hours later, they'd go, Lazarus! The third day, Lazarus, roll the stone in place, he's dead. We smell it, he's stinking. Going home, 
it's over. <clears throat> she said, yeah, Lord, I believe. I, I believe you are the, son, are the Christ, the Son of God, which should come into this world. Now listen to that statement. That is the rock upon which Jesus Christ is building the church. Almost the same as Peter said. This woman is not converted, but she made the confession. Thou art the Christ, the Son of God, which should come into the world. And when she had said this, she heads back to her little abode. And she tells Mary, the master's here, he wants to see you. Mary comes out, and she was weeping, and she comes out, and she says exactly the same thing. She said, Lord, if thou hast been here, my brother had not died. But let's, let's back up a little bit. This is what it said. Then when Mary was come where Jesus was and saw him, she fell down at her feet. Lord, I worship you. And she said, Lord, if you'd have been here, my brother wouldn't have died. This broke the heart of Jesus. My, my sisters, I want to share something with you. Every time you meet this woman in the scriptures, she is at the feet of Jesus. Does that speak to your heart? At the feet? What is she doing there? She's listening. She's comprehending. She's taking it in. And he's feeding her. On and on. More and more. Oh, you say, well, I can't be on my knees all the time. I understand that. He understands that. But where was she every time you read about her? We know the rest of the story. Where she raised him from the dead. <clears throat> I want to go to verse 39 yet. And this is the last time that we read that Martha spoke anything in the Scriptures. The last time that's recorded that she said anything in Scriptures. Jesus said, Take ye away the stone. Martha, the sister of him that was dead, said unto him, Lord, by this time he stinketh, for he hath been dead four days. The last time she said anything. Jesus' response was, said I not unto thee, that if thou wouldst believe, thou shouldst see the glory of God. He was raised from the dead. He came out, and we won't go there. Let's go to John 12, just a little bit, and we'll jump into our other scriptures that we just read. Here in John 12, John chapter 12, verses 1 through 11, I'm not going to go through all that. We don't have time tonight. But this scripture here, I want, to keep you, I want you to keep in mind, 70 years after this happened, the Apostle John wrote these words down. 70 years later, when getting back from the Isle of Patmos, he wrote this gospel. And he wrote this from memory. And this is what he remembered of this situation. John never writes of the Gethsemane scene. Mary never went to Calvary. She skipped that part. And why, why? And why? Let me explain. 
Six days before the last Passover. Six days before the Passover. This was the last Sabbath that Jesus Christ was on earth. And he did not spend it in a synagogue. He spent it in the abode of Mary, Martha, and now Lazarus, whom was raised from the dead. He spent it there. Why did he go there? They're sitting at the table. Sisters, I'm going to read verse 2. And I want you to catch something. There they made him a supper, and Martha served. But Lazarus was one of them that sat at the table with him. What jumps out at you? What else? Two words. Martha served. What's that tell you? Is there grumbling? Is there complaining? She's serving. What happened? What happened to this woman? It looks to me like she's serving with gladness of heart. Cheerful. Something happened. That I am the resurrection. She experienced the resurrection. Not only did she see her brother raised from the dead, but the glory of God awakened up in this woman, and she experienced the resurrection. She's serving with gladness of heart. Now Mary... She had a plan. She had a plan. She sat at Jesus' feet for several times, listened to what he said. He said he's the resurrection and the life. And, and I, I can just picture this. This is my little thinking here that Mary, they're talking about their, their brothers are raised from the dead. And maybe this whole week they're discussing this. And, and Mary said, to, and Martha said something that he said that right before that he told me he's, he's the resurrection and the life. And and anybody that believes in him, though he were dead, yet shall they live. And the ones that aren't dead, they're, gonna, they're never going to have to die. And, 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 and maybe discussing this, and, Mar and Mary said, Martha, what did he say? Oh, he said, I, I am the resurrection and the life. And he that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall we live. Maybe just a few hours later, the next day, she said, Martha, remind me again, what did he say? You know, they didn't have the Bible to read it. What did he say? He said, well, he said I'm the, I am the resurrection and the life. And, and if somebody dies, they're going to live again. And, and, and some of them never have to die. Started sinking in. Chastisement. Taking their brother away. To bring the glory of God to a new level in this little abode. Brothers and sisters, I don't know where you're at tonight. I don't know where you're at tonight in the kingdom of God, but I know one thing. He wants to take you higher. He wants to take you higher. I don't know where you're at in your understanding of the holy word of God. He has more to show you. There's always more. It's an endless fountain of living water. Drink it. Drink it. <clears throat> Mary had a little problem. All at once, it started coming together. Yes, he's going to die, but he's not going to stay dead. 
He's going to raise up from the dead. I got it. I got it. Oh, but I got a problem. I, I bought this little spike nerd bottle to, to embalm his dead body. What do I do with this? All the time, the master knew it. All the time, the master knew it. This little bottle was hidden, this little abode in their little house, and, and he knew somewhere back in that little shelf was that little bottle she had there, and he knew it, and, and he knew that i got to go there on the Sabbath morning and spend the whole day at this house. Yes, I do. Brothers and sisters, I, I get excited when I, when I do this, when I, say, I go through that. It's just so exciting for me to see what happened here to these people when, when just a little, uh, yeah, the chastisement didn't feel good. Their brother is sick and dying and the anxiety rising up and finally he takes his last breath and all hope is gone and they bury him and, and, and they're sitting there and they're weeping and the neighbors come together and where's Jesus? Where's Jesus when we needed him the most? He was here a lot, but when we really, really needed him, he, did, he wasn't around. You ever felt like that? He's there. He is there. I can tell you, if you're running this race, brothers and sisters, there is nothing that, that happens to you that doesn't first cross the Father's desk. Do you believe it? He approves it. He approves it. We often say the devil is here, but we'll get into that a little bit later. But the Lord chasteneth those that he loves and that he owns. The ones that he receives to himself, there he you are his. You are his, and he's gonna, he is your owner, and he's gonna, he's gonna take you through some things, okay? Are you ready for the ride? We're not gonna just if our if our brothers and sisters some of them had to wade through blood. Some of them were cut asunder. Some of them had to escape into caves and all kinds of things and, and run away and some escaped and, and, they, and they got away. Do you think we're just going to ski right into heaven? Going to slide right into heaven and just, just kind of just like some of them contemporary songs go and, and we're just going to wade right into heaven and oh, he, can't, he is just so lucky that he got a hold of me. It's not the God we serve. No, that's not true. <clears throat> Jesus was there. And Mary thought, yes, today's the day. He's not going to stay dead, so I'm going to do all I can. I'm going to get my little bottle out, and I'm going to break it over his head. Brothers and sisters, the fragrance of that worship. John remembered the smell and the fragrance of that worship 70 years later. He could still smell it. How beautiful. And my sisters, I want to share with you tonight the fragrance of worship. Is that what you leave behind? Is that what your husband meets when he comes home from work? Is that what your mother sees in you daughters? The fragrance of worship. Worshiping at Jesus' feet. Behold Him while you do the laundry. 
Paul says pray without ceasing. What does he mean? On our knees all the time. No, he doesn't. But what he means, while your hands work, your spirit is connected with the Spirit of God. While your feet are going and you're getting groceries at Target all the time, your spirit is connected with the Spirit of God. You're communing with God. The fragrance of worship. You go places and people, and you walk back out and they're like, wow, she left behind refreshing. Look what Paul says to Philemon. He said, brother, you're refreshing to my bowels. I know, brother, he said, you even do more than I ask you. Every one of us tonight, we came through one of those doors. And as the group saw you come in, they thought one of two things. They either thought, I'm really glad they're here, or they thought, I can't wait till they go home. Think about it. When you come in any place, people think about it. What do you leave? What, do you, what for fragrance do you bring into the room, and what do you leave behind? It matters. It matters. Our brothers and sisters, they, they, are, they are encased in Jesus Christ. Be careful how you handle them. Be careful what you say about them. They are also owned by Adonai. The brother or sister sitting next to you, they may not do everything like you think they should, but their owner is Adonai. Be careful. Be careful. Jesus actually said, if you love one another as I loved you, this is what the world can see and how they can tell that you are my possession." How much love did you see there yesterday going back and forth between the people? It wasn't love. It was, I didn't, I didn't see any agape, did you? Maybe a little filio, fuzzy whatever feeling, but no agape. Not agape. You don't find it there. Well, just like always, when this odor kind of broke out over that little abode, Judas Iscariot was in there. The enemy, the devil, was there as well. And he had a little bit of a complaint. He said, you know what? Sister, you're wasting your time. You're wasting all your resources. You could have a job getting $10 an hour. What are you doing here helping the neighbor and just volunteering your time? Why are you only going up and down the street helping the young mothers? You could be out here making some money. Don't waste your time, he says. Sisters, think about it. I tell you, don't waste your time. You're a racer. You're running a race. Take advantage of the years you have now. You know how you can waste your time? You can waste a lot of years sitting here worrying about can't get a husband. May never get a boyfriend. Woe is me. Oh, ho, ho, bemoan me. Nobody's ever going to ask me. Don't waste it that way. Lift up your chin. There's a race to run. 
Don't worry, these men will ask you someday. <laughs> but they're looking for a sister that worships and leaves a fragrance of worship wherever she goes. That's the godly seed that God is looking for. Now, and, and if you leave a fragrance of worship, that's also the type of man you will draw to yourself. You believe me? Amen. If all you want's a guy, you can go get him tonight. They're available by the train loads. But if you want a godly man, it's going to take prayer. It's going to take time. Patience. Run that race with patience. Don't get in a hurry. I never read where God ever got into a hurry. Everything that happens in your life as a believer, by faith believing, walking this path, brothers and sisters, I say it again, everything Paul said in the Philippian prison, he says, my bonds are for the furtherance of the gospel. Think of that. My bonds. I'm in chains and stocks. I, don't, I just wonder sometimes how many guards or soldiers got saved because he was in prison. I think there did a lot. Really, I believe. One place he says all oh, the palace. I'm not sure what he means, but these guys couldn't help but get saved. Anyway, <clears throat> moving on. And here is one that we can't read about emotional facial expressions or tones of voices in the scriptures. We can't, that's, we can't read that. But you know, when Judas spoke that about that we could have, you wasted this, this could have been given to the poor. In verse 7, this is how I think it went. Let her alone. The day of my burying has she kept, for the day of my burying has she kept this. And Judas, there's always people that are poor. If you want to, you can help them. So sisters or brothers, if you ever want to do something and you believe that God has led you to do it for the kingdom of God's sake and somebody comes up to you and tries to hinder that by putting some stumbling block in your way, you have the right to rebuke him with, I believe, Rightful anger. Because sometimes you'll meet people like that. What are you wasting your time here for? Really? <clears throat> well, the story doesn't end there quite, but we won't have to take much time more there. But I love what it reads in verse 9. It says, much people, now listen to this, brothers. Much people of the Jews therefore knew that he was there, Jesus. They came not for Jesus' sake only, but that they might see Lazarus also, whom he had raised from the dead. Think of that. They came to that little abode that day, not so much to see Jesus, but to see Lazarus, whom was raised from the dead. I guarantee if you run this race with patience and you endure the chastening of the Lord and you keep your eyes focused on Jesus, you won't have to so much go out and find somebody to witness to. They'll come to you. 
These men come in there, and I, I don't know how it happened, but I believe they went to Lazarus. They said, what happened? I mean, last I heard, you, was, you were sick, and you died. What happened? And Lazarus, you know, he said, I, I really don't know. He said, I was, I was sick, and, and I'm, I die, I'm alive. I have a new life. I was raised from the dead. You know, and, and brothers, if that's the type of life that we live as a resurrected Christian who is a follower of Jesus Christ, it's going to work that way. People are going to come to you, and they're, gonna, they're going to, what happened? What do, you, what do you have to share? I mean, I'm thirsty, I'm hungry, I want to hear more. <clears throat> we will leave that, uh, and we'll come back to her a little bit later. Let's go back to Hebrews where we read it and start to work our way through the verses there. Time's moving on really fast. Sometimes I think we should just take those clocks off the wall, but that's all right. Actually, we could have somebody sit at the window open tonight, maybe, and when, we, when he falls out, we'll quit and raise him from the dead, and then we'll preach till the sun comes up. That's what Paul did. Amen. I, I'm amazed, you know. Uh, yeah, anyway, we need to move on. Okay, working, working our way down through there, we need, I'd like to tell you chastisement, as in the Scriptures, the chastening of the Lord is actually God exhorting you on. Now, every one of us, every one of us, we have, a, we have this great cloud of witness here, and I, I love, and I'm just not going to pick too much out of, we read about that whole great cloud of witnesses in chapter 11 of Hebrews, and I'm not going to go through all of them, but I want to share one thing uh, in verse 13 in chapter 11. It says, These all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off, and were persuaded of them, and embraced them, and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on this earth. Look at the verbs in this Look at the verbs in this, uh, in this little passage. First, they, they, they all died in faith. They didn't live long enough to see the manifest of Jesus Christ on the earth, but their vision was ahead. They had a spiritual vision, and they saw the invisible. They based their life in their outgoings and their outward expressions and their, and their movements and their walkings based on the promises of God because they knew God couldn't lie. They knew of the Messiah, the anointed one that's coming, but they never lived to see him. These all died in faith. What they were so, they were persuaded of those truths that they took a hold of those truths of God's word and they embraced them and they hung on and they were persuaded and, and they went through their life entirely hanging on to the promises of God and they went and they never faltered, they never staggered and they, they professed that we're just here for a little bit. We're just passing through. We're strangers and pilgrims. We don't fit in. We're that tender plant. We are what the world calls the off-scouring of the world. We are the ones that they put down the drain. We don't, we don't mean anything to the world because that we, we believe in the crucified Jesus Christ who was raised from the dead and now we have a new life and we live in love and 
We have turned away from the world and the cross is the symbol still standing there that, that separates me from the world and I'm going this way and brothers and sisters, you're going with me and the world is still going this way and the gulf is getting bigger and bigger and bigger and the world is fanning out into the past as our vision is for Jesus Christ. Brothers and sisters, I exhort you, run the race. It is set before you. I don't know where you're at. Some of you may have just started. Some are maybe down the road. Maybe some are close to home. I don't know. But somewhere at the end of that dash, God's going to call you home. He's going to call you home. Run. It's worth it all. It's worth it all. Keep your focus on Jesus Christ. You have all these men cheering you. Men and women that have died in faith. By the millions that are sitting in the bleachers, exhorting you on. <clears throat> it's a race of a lifetime. They embraced it. They believed it. These all died in faith. And I'm going to jump to verse 40. Here's where your name is in the Scriptures, brothers and sisters. Here's where you put your name there and you believe it. This is what it said in verse 40 at the end of all, at the end of all these witnesses here. It says, God having provided a better thing for Luke, for David, for Heidi. I don't know all your names. Better thing for Anthony, Brother Pete, Mark. A better thing. Look what he says further. That they, these, they, they, without us, without us, should not be made complete. Brothers and sisters, think of that. The marriage supper of the Lamb up here is not going to be complete until we're all home. We all need to go down this race, brothers and sisters, and we need to meet the Lord in glory before He's going to sit us down at the table. That's not complete. We're running yet. We're still running. Where are you? Maybe you feel like giving up. You ever felt like that? Don't. The chastening of the Lord, why does He do it? He does it to bring pressure upon us in certain areas that we can't handle alone. Brothers and sisters, my wife and I was just talking about that the other night. I know in my heart that I would not have had the strength or the courage or the wisdom to walk away from my people had God not brought the whip down. Had God not done the separating, I would have never been able to because I loved Him. I still love Him. There are some places in our lives we can't make it on our own. He doesn't just chasten us. The word chasten means to scold and to lecture, to admonish and to reprove. But there's another word. Scourgeth. That's another story. That's the bull whip. That's the horse whip. That's the switch. The rawhide. ever feel that over your back? 
God will do that. God will do that. It doesn't feel good, but he'll do it. But I'm going to tell you, it's not like your dad when he had a stick and didn't know when to, no, <laughs> didn't know when to stop. I'm going to tell you, when God brings the whip down over your back, every strike is measured for distance and strength to exactly what it's going to take to get you going again. He's going to bring it down. It may be hard, but you can trust Him. You are His. He owns you. He's, he's doing it not to let you have it, but to exhort you on, to get you running again. Young people, you're going to get into those places sometimes in your life. Did you ever hear somebody say, I feel like throwing in the towel? I feel like throwing up my hands? Go ahead and throw up your hands, but raise them up. Raise them up and tell God, I, I can't. We were taught in school to never say, I can't try again. God teaches you to come to the point to admit that I can't. I am done trying. Father, you brought me to here. I don't know where to turn. I don't understand this valley, but I know you're in control. I have committed my life to you. I am still yours, but I need your help. It doesn't feel good in that position, brothers and sisters, but, dark, but the greatest prayers that God will ever hear is when you are by His chastening, you are forced to your knees and you don't have any words to say. The Holy Spirit will then intercede with murmurings and groanings that you don't understand. Do you believe that tonight? Brothers and sisters, there's a race to run. There's a joy. But He needs you. He needs you to finish His plan. We always, some people say, well, you know, God can do without me. That reminds me, let's turn to Ephesians chapter 1. I'll show you that he needs you really, really bad to finish his plan. Oh, yeah, I mean, if you decide not to, he can raise somebody else up. But the bridegroom needs the bride to finish the plan of God. Okay? And the bride is the church. We heard a lot about that this week. And Ephesians chapter 1 goes like this. In the last two verses, it says like this, And he hath put all things under his feet, and gave him to be the head over all things to the church or the bride. Then the next verse says, Which is the bride, the church, which is his body, and the bride and the church is the fullness of him that filleth all and all. The bride and the church is what it's going to take to bring this all together. Have you ever been to a wedding where the bridegroom was there all by himself and the bride never showed up and you walked away from there and say, wow, what a glorious wedding they had. <laughs> she wasn't there. She didn't show up. But the bride, is, has some of her is there. A large portion of her is home. There's a few still coming. There are few are still running. Brothers and sisters, 
when God wants to change you into the image of his son, I'm going to tell you, he will not put the robe of righteousness over some kind of a robe that you fabricated. God is in the business. And you read that in, I think it's uh, in, the, in Philippians chapter 1. I, cha- I think that's the one. I'm not going to read it, but it's, it's, a, it's a chapter that I titled, Undressing and Dressing in the Sight of the Almighty. And there's a little bit of a key to undressing. If I tell you a verse like this, mortify the deeds of your flesh, what did I miss? First I'll start at the first, I'll start at the first of it. It says, if you live after the flesh, you shall die. So mortify the deeds of the flesh, and you shall live. What have I missed? He's in here. Amen. Mortify, subordinate clause, through the Spirit, the deeds of the flesh, and you shall live. You see, you don't have to kill those deeds. Let the Spirit of God kill them. All you need to do is listen to the Spirit of God. And the deeds of the flesh are going to go by the wayside. That little sweater you saw in the catalog, it won't even look nice anymore. Seriously. It gets dimmer. The further you walk, the dimmer it gets. And you actually can own a sweater for maybe four years and still wear it. (laughs) Have you ever gone to the closet and you open up the closet door and all this stuff comes bursting out? I have nothing to wear! (laughs) Think about it. It goes that way. Anyway, to scold. Now he says here, Jesus said, and we're going to jump in there in chapter 12, he talks about the great cloud of witness. Let us lay aside every weight and every sin that so easily besets you. Runners of a race, but prior to the race, they're working out, they're lifting weights, they're putting weights on their feet, they're getting, they're lifting weights, 500 pounds, 200 pounds, whatever it takes. But I'm going to tell you, brothers and sisters, on the day of the race, that stuff gets thrown aside. They put on these aerodynamic suits, and I'm re- they're ready to run. And I tell you, brothers and sisters, it says put off the weight and the sin. It's two different things. The weight that you might have might be the security of a job. might be the comfort of a home. Your security might be in something else. It might be, it might be thinking that I just kind of got it made, and, and you're building on that. Lay aside that weight. Get it off the side. And it's not hard for us to understand that sin has no room on this road. Remember, we left it here. We left it here at the foot of the cross. That doesn't mean you're not going to fall. That's why you need a father that owns you, that's going to chasten you. Sometimes you're going to hear him give you a lecture. Sometimes you're going to read his word and it's going to sound like he's lecturing you and he's admonishing you and he's rebuking you and that's exactly what he's doing. And then if you won't listen, and brothers, I, I've been there. I tell you what, I, I remember one, I, one, one thing that, uh, that I was uh, 
that I, in all the change here, and, and I, I got to thinking about it, and brothers were saying that they should be baptized, and, and I, I, was, I was holding back on that, and I was like, I don't need to go that far. We don't need to do that. I mean, that, that's too much. But you know, about a year and a half went on, and I fought that thing, and I fought that thing, and I remember, again, one little spot in our room where we was kneeling down one morning, and the sun was coming up in the east. It was a spring morning, and I got up from the prayer, and I looked at Diane, and I said, are you thinking what I'm thinking? And she said, we need to get baptized. You know what? I walked out that morning. I wasn't baptized yet, but I was free. I was free. I stopped resisting. God brought the whip down, and, and, he just, and I, was, I was free. I, I don't think the sun ever shone so bright that morning. And I wasn't baptized for about 30 or 40 days after that, but that was okay. I stopped resisting. I gave up because God brought down the whip. You need to go on, brother. You need to do all this. You are mine. Do it. By faith believing. This is, the, this is where I'm guiding you. Read my word. You can't get around it. And brothers and sisters, God has drawn a line. Nevertheless, God knows them that are His. I don't know where you're at tonight. I trust you're on the right side of the line. But that line don't go like this to get you in. God draws a line. And the line's in the sand. And, that, and looking back, that's exactly what he wanted me to do and Diane and I to do. To draw a line in the sand. To make a public notification to the world that we are done. And we're not looking back. And we're moving on. <clears throat> The race is set before us. He tells us where to look to. Look to the mark. Look to Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, the one who signed the contract with blood, the one that forgave your sins, has the right to have authority over you as well. He's at the right hand. He's looking. He's watching you run. No, he's not here. He's up here. He's up here. He's our focal point. I tried to draw heaven, but I didn't even get close. I realized that, but he's up here. He's waiting for you. He's the focal point. He's why we run. He's why we, he's why we keep going. He's why the world gets dimmer as we go. That he's, he's the reason. And he's looking for the joy that was set before him. That's why he endured the cross. Brothers and sisters, when he was hanging on the cross, and when he... When he spoke the seven times there, what do you think he had in his mind? Who do you think he was thinking about? What is the greatest pain in the Garden of Gethsemane that you think he felt? Victory was won for him in the Garden of Gethsemane, but the greatest pain was that he knew that the biggest share of humanity would never turn to him. It was a pretty small percentage there yesterday, were we not? That's only one city. We only saw part of that one. <clears throat> Moving on down, we have to move on. Uh, <clears throat> we'll go down to uh, verse 6. Well, 
Verse 5 says, And you have forgotten the exhortation which speaketh unto... One thing I'm going to make a point here, anybody, and especially young people, when you ever get to a word in Scripture that ends in E-T-H, speaketh, chasteneth, scourgeth, dealeth, all of those words mean he deals and 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 he deals with you. He scourges, scourge and scourge and scourge and whatever it takes. It's ongoing. Every time you read a word like that, chasteneth and chasteneth and chasteneth, whatever it takes, he chastens you. Whatever amount it takes. If you're running well, if you're running well, that's fine. What does he say to one that finished? Okay, two words. Well, what does done signify? But you did something, right? Those who hear my words and, and do them are the ones that build their house on the rock. Those that hear my words and do them not. Oh, he's a legalist. He's all about law. No, brothers and sisters, there's a doing. But let our doing be because we are his. We're his. He owns us. That's why we do. We run because we love him. <clears throat> I have to move on here really quickly. Um, he says, my son. He said, he speaketh to you as his child. My son. This is God, my son. He says, Despise not thou the ch chastening of the Lord, nor don't faint, or don't lose heart when he brings the whip down over your back. Don't lose heart when he rebukes you. And you know what? He may rebuke you through a brother or a sister. I'm not sure if a brother or sister would actually bring a rawhide over your back, but... I don't know how you guys have it here. <laughs> but anyway, think about it. They may tell you something that almost feels the same way. And, how, and let me ask you this. How do you take admonition? I don't do so well sometimes with that. Sometimes it takes me a couple days to get over it. But I remember a dear brother that was visiting our community. He's married now. He was a young man that visited there. And he got into the few things there, and, and, the, and I remember taking him off the side just to admonish him a little bit. I, I think I maybe admonished him for five minutes. I don't, know, I don't know what all I told him. I don't even remember, but I remember one thing. After I was done, there was tears running down his cheek, and he goes, Dan, thank you for making this known to me. I didn't even know it. And I think sometimes when somebody rebukes us, maybe a little sharply, feels like a whip over your back, pray to come to that point. Pray to come to that point. But on the other side, before you rebuke someone, be sure there's a relationship first. If you never talk to the youth, and you never have any relationship to them, all at once, Miss so-and-so comes with a new sweater, Think you ought to have that on today? You know what she told me? It, it, that's how it goes. 
I mean, think about it. Verse 6 says, For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth. He rebukes them. He admonishes them. If that don't work, he scourges them with the rawhide, with the whip. If If chasteneth doesn't get them going, he scourges them, and surely a whip will wake them up. You know, uh, and, and, but, but listen what he says. Every son or daughter whom he receiveth as mine. The only reason he chastens you, and, ble- and, and brothers and sisters, let's, I, I've been to places where bad things have happened to unbelievers, and they say, well, you know, and they bring this up. God's just chastening us. God doesn't chasten those who are not his own. Really, he does not. According to the Holy Scriptures, he has to be Adonai to you. And you have to be his child in order for him to chasten you. So some of them other bad things that happen. Okay, uh, a guy's drinking and he drives down the road and he gets killed and maybe some of his buddies get killed with him. That's not the chastening of God. That's the outcome of the enemy getting done with those people. It's a difference. It's a difference. That's why. That's why. You can go to a funeral of a believer. Yes, it's sorrowful, but somehow it's different. Because you know in your heart and your mind that he got translated from this run and placed in the bleachers. You believe that? All of these, according to the Holy Scriptures, are resting under the altar of God. They're resting. But the interesting thing about their resting, they are awake. They are aware of their surroundings. And they are aware of the surroundings of their brothers and sisters that are running the race. You believe that? Now wait a minute. Can they see us? I'm not going there. Read it. Revelations 9 something. Uh, 9 6, I believe, or 6 9. I'm not sure. They said, Lord, how long? How long are you going to let the world get by and that, 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 uh, that martyred us? And, 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 and how long is it going to be yet, Lord? The Lord just gives them some white robes and tells them, just rest yet for a season until these. Until these are all in. Brothers and sisters, aren't you excited tonight? I mean, I think we should all run out of that door, you know? I mean, run this race. Run this race. It's set before you. Why will you not run? Why will you not go? He says, if you endure chastening, you endure it means that you welcome it, you are glad for it, then God dealeth with you as with sons. When God deals with you, he deals with you in love. He knows exactly the measure of chastening you need. He knows exactly the measure of scourging that you need. And scourging sometimes, I'm not going to go there, it's very rough sometimes. He says, for what son is he whom the father chasteneth not? 
And you know, no, I don't know that we, we uh, you never heard of a little, little Johnny's going out the door and dad gets the whip out and he says, yay, we're going out to get a whipping again and I hope daddy gives me 10 of them. And he doesn't do that and that's not how we look at chastening. It's grievous. It's grievous. It hurts and it's like, it's like, it's like uh, no, we don't look forward to it. He says, nevertheless, he says, uh, but he says about the fathers, they chasten us just for uh, time, but he says, in verse 10, but God, the last part of verse 10, but God chasteneth for our profit, for your gain, but there's something more, that we might be partakers of the holiness of God. That we might have that divine nature have the ability to overcome the corruption that's in the world and be partakers of the divine nature and Jesus Christ within us here, we escape the wrath of God. Chastening isn't the wrath of God. The wrath of God, when that's poured out without mixture, brothers and sisters, we won't be here. We won't be here. No. And I'm not going into eschatology, but I don't believe that. I don't believe that. Not when, now when the wrath of Satan is poured out, we may be. I'm not sure where that all goes. But when the wrath of God is poured out, the bride's not going to be here. Because we have no Read it, the horrible things that go on. It is amazing. But I'm telling you, if, if you don't understand anything but in the Revelations, you can understand two things. That God loves the believer and will exhort him on. But the unbeliever, he's not going to be that God of love. It's the wrath of God on judgment poured out, emptied out. Bible says without mixture. He's not holding anything back. He's not watering it down. And you don't want to be here. <clears throat> Verse 11 says, Now no chastening for the present seemeth to be joyous, but grievous. Nevertheless, Afterward, it yieldeth a peaceable fruit of righteousness unto them that are exercised thereby. And I can testify to that, brothers and sisters, after God chastens you, when you rise up from that and you stop resisting and you receive the chastisement of the Lord, I'm telling you there is such a peace and such a blessing beyond that because you know you listen to the Father. You know you were obedient to the one that owns you. <clears throat> and that's what he says. Don't get discouraged. Lift up your hands that hang down. Your feeble knees that are rocky and, and, and you feel weak. But he also says, make straight paths, sister. Make straight paths, brother. Take those crooked things out of your life. Discipline yourself. Walk the straight path. That, those weights and that sin and that whatever's there, clean it up. And, and there was a lot of confessing going on this week, but I'm going to tell you, brothers and sisters, if you go home and there's still some kind of a weight or something there in a, in a hidden room of your heart, that old whip could come down pretty hard the next couple of weeks to get your attention. These brothers spoke loud and clear. We didn't have to wonder what they were saying. <clears throat> Turn with me to John 
21, and I'm going to close with this. As an exhortation, we're going to pick up Mary again. Here in John 21, you see that uh, she didn't go to Gethsemane to Golgotha. She went straight to the grave on third day, third day. She was the first one to see the empty grave. She was the first one to meet the Lord. Why do you suppose that was? I'm convinced, brothers and sisters, she was the only living person that believed that Jesus Christ was going to raise from the dead that day how did she know she spent time at his feet worshiping listening taking it in God moving her from glory to glory understanding increasing he's going to die but he's not going to stay dead none of the disciples believed that but she did first one to meet him runs to the upper room tells the disciples the Lord's alive! Peter, of course, he's the first one out the door running to the sepulcher. John right behind him. I mean, these guys were hoofing it. I don't know how fast it was and how far it was, but Peter got there first and he stooped down. Or John got there first. Obviously, he was a younger man. I don't know what, maybe not quite as heavy set. But he ran as fast as he could go. And John gets there. And the Bible tells us this. Now, this is what I want to close with. I want you to listen carefully. Verse 5 says, And he, stooping down, looking in, saw the linen clothes lying there, but he went not inside. Here comes Peter behind him, puffing and huffing, and he, he followed in there, and he says, And Peter never stopped. Then cometh Simon Peter, following him, and went into the sepulcher, right on inside, and he also saw. What's the difference? Verse 7 says, And the napkin that was about his head, not lying with the linen clothes, but wrapped together in a place by itself, then went in also the other disciple, John, which came first to the sepulcher, and he saw and believed. What did he see? If you ever get to a word in Scripture and you wonder why it's there, <clears throat> Here, several years ago, I got to this word napkin, and I'm going to leave you with this. And I, I, I just wasn't settled on it. I don't know what it was there for, and I'm like, well. So I did a little research, and this napkin has a tremendous significance on what happened. John looked at this, and he saw the napkin. It says it was lying that was about his head, not lying with the linen clothes, but wrapped together in a place by itself. Now I want to tell you a little bit of Jewish culture here. In the Jewish culture, when the king, when the king ordered a, a meal, or whatever he ordered, and the servants prepared that meal, they got it all ready and in his table, and everything was gloriously set there, and they'd tell the king to come down to eat, and the king would sit at the table and eating, but nobody else was in the room while he was eating, but the servants would kind of peek in the door every now and then, and there were symbols and signs that he had that he needed something or didn't need anything. Well, when they finally the meal was over with, and, and the king stood up, and he, uh, 
and he took this napkin and he wiped his mouth and his hands and, and he kind of wadded this napkin up and he, he threw it to the side and he got up. They knew that he's not coming back. He's done. But if the king wiped his mouth and his hands and he took this napkin and he folded it real nice and he laid it to his right side and he got up and went out of the room, the servants knew that he's not done. He's coming back. I stand before you tonight and tell you that our king, though he said on the cross, it is finished, he's not done. He's not done. We heard often this week, he's at the right hand of the father, but there's going to come a moment when the father's going to say, son, you'll get the bride. He's going to come down and we're going to see him in the air. The bride's going to rise up. And I don't know what all is going to happen. But after the, after the marriage supper of the Lamb, he's still not done. He's going to get on a horse. He's going to come back. And all these, and all of these, are going to be on horses behind him. He's coming down to smite the nations. After the marriage supper of the Lamb, we read of another supper. He doesn't need our help to smite the nations. He's going to do it with the sword of his mouth. But we're going to be his witnesses. And there's more to tell about that. We're going to leave that with you. Remember, the king is coming. He's coming back. John saw the symbol. He looked at there and he looked at a napkin and he knew this isn't over. This is not done yet. And I'm going to leave you with that. We plan to leave tomorrow night, tomorrow morning. I may never see you again on this earth and I don't really need to. But brothers and sisters, I want to meet you there. I want to meet you there. Will you run? Will you go? Will you receive the chastisement? Let it come down. It's okay. Tonight, I'm not going to have an altar call. But I'm going to tell you this. You may have questions. You may have something to say. Maybe you just want to visit. I'm going to make myself available as long as you want me over in the other room. You don't have to come. My wife and I will be there if you want to. I don't want you going home with something on your heart. Maybe it's an outpouring of love. Maybe it's a little room that hasn't been opened yet. Don't go home that way. Somewhere on that road, your number is going to be called. He may call your number. It's okay. It doesn't matter if you're halfway, wherever you're at. 
call you. He's coming back. We have the symbol. He's told us. Believe him. If I go and there's still a lot of them left, I'm looking forward to sitting in those bleachers and just cheering you guys on. But I'm going to tell you something, young men. It won't be long. It won't be long. You're going to be the men of this congregation. Us here with gray hair and bald heads, our tongues are going to be silent if the Lord tarries. I'm going to tell you what, you won't hear them, but we're going to be singing that heavenly choir. God bless you guys.